Hey everyone, welcome to the Opera Sky podcast. My name is Ricardo Monegas and I will be your host. On this podcast, we would like to share valuable knowledge, lessons learned, and stories from entrepreneurs, investors, and managers while running their businesses. We strive to ask the right questions and discover insight from our guests so you can apply them in your business and life right after each episode. Thanks for joining us and let's get started. Hi everyone, today we are talking with Eleanor Manley. She is the co-founder and CTO of Metaspace. Uh, they are working towards building tech for gender equality and better workplaces as a ultimate goal. So we are really excited to have you here, Eleanor. How are you? Hi, Ricardo. I'm very well, thank you. And thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Great, great. So, Eleanor, what what is your role as the CTO of Metaspace? What, what does it mean in your day-to-day -day activities? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, I'm one of the founding members of Metaspace, and also I head up a lot of the tech development. So, my role is primarily within data science. Um, so specifically machine learning and natural language processing, which is how a computer understands text. And I think that's especially exciting when um, actually applying it towards gender equality and better workplaces and seeing how AI and technology can be can be used for good. Okay, well, it will be nice to go deeper into the technology part, but before going there, maybe we can talk about, okay, what does it mean for you, uh, gender equality? What is the goals that you are trying to achieve in the, uh, to change the landscape, let's say, of the current workspace? So what is the difference you want to make and what, what will be the, let's say, the success state for you to find gender equality? Mm -hmm. Yeah, firstly, before I deep dive into the specifics of gender equality, maybe I'll give a brief introduction to the company and, and what we do. So we, um, we consider ourselves the next generation of compliance. Uh, we help companies prevent, report and resolve workplace misconduct. And we started the company, my co-founder and I, Helena, after being witness to a really bad sexual harassment case that affected half the women around us. And it was really you know, both of us were working within the tech field. I was in uh, data science and Helena was working within cybersecurity. And we realized to the extent that it was, you know, harming the women who were not, not only affected by uh, the sexual harassment, but also the whole atmosphere and uh, what it created um, with, you know, due to this case. Um, so we spent about eight months doing research and we realized that it wasn't just sexual harassment, but discrimination, bullying, fraud and bribery that were really prolific within organizations today. And we decided that we wanted to do something about it. So when it, when we come to say, okay, we want to make companies more gender equal, uh, more diverse and more financially transparent, what we mean by that is basically allowing anyone within the company, no matter who they are, um, you know, how they identify themselves, where they've come from, that they can really work in a respectful environment that allows them to be as productive and do as well as in their careers as possible. Okay. And how does it look, uh, that system from your side that you are developing in, in Metaspace? So the, uh, 
how how do you prevent that the let's say the abuser doesn't um, continue on this behavior and how to yeah try to change this behavior right or i don't know what what would be the ultimate solution out of this uh let's say whistleblower uh, program let's say mm -hmm. yeah so as i as i mentioned so we have three main pillars so prevent report mm -hmm. and resolve and those three pillars are backed up by three different technologies so firstly within the prevention aspect we have an nlp algorithm can detect written harassment in online communications and that's really the goal to kind of nip harassment in the bud because what tends to happen especially with harassment is that it escalates and it takes someone about three months to realize that they have been harassed and at that point they're more likely to resign than to actually report it so we're trying to prevent that from happening then in the reporting um, it's a mobile application that all employees can have access to um, that allows them to kind of report all types of workplace misconduct anonymously if they choose and then on the company side and this is where the resolution plays comes into play is um, we have a case management system with a geo-specific knowledge library that gives them the best legal and ethical practices of a case to help with the resolution time. And ultimately, our goal is to reduce resolution time by about 80% and really create a culture of transparency between the employee and the person who's handling their case. Okay. And what are the current results that you have seen with your current development in the companies you are working on so it has been improved in certain percentage as you're saying that you want to achieve the 80 percent or you are close to that 80 percent or is it still work in progress to achieve that yeah it's definitely a work in progress we're still a very early stage company which is obviously extremely exciting because it means that we still have a long way to go but in terms of the nlp algorithm we're really happy that we're at 96.5 percent accuracy score with that uh, with the resolution center we're seeing you know up to 80 percent resolution time reduction and then with the reporting we're seeing far more reports coming in uh, than a company had previously expected um this is kind of an interesting question that we receive from organizations is oh if we acquire a solution like yours will we get more reports and the answer is yes but that doesn't mean that you're having more harassment or more bullying or more discrimination but rather that more is coming to light and that you're able to resolve it rather than just having talent leave leave the company rather than report mm -hmm. good so can you walk us through what how does it look in the day-to-day -day operations for a company who is using your tool? So uh, you you give access to, to the companies with a mobile application and then what happens? What is the process that they need to follow on that? Yeah, so we try to make it as simple as possible for organizations to onboard their employees. Um, also bearing in mind that because of the new EU whistleblowing directive that states that all companies in the EU must have reporting systems, we also are part of the compliance with that. Um, so basically what we do is we allow all employees to report all types of workplace misconduct at any point through their mobile devices and that on the basis that they would be free from retaliation after having uh, you know blown the whistle on an issue um, nonetheless day to day it's a bit difficult to say because companies don't tend to get a report a day 
So it's more on, you know, when someone feels comfortable. And it's also one of the reasons why we allow people to report on their mobile devices is to allow them to report at home, for example, rather than necessarily reporting on a work device that can be tracked. It just allows for more security from the person coming forward. Good. And you mentioned in your introduction or understanding of Metaspace that you are using it as um, natural language processing um, mm -hmm. or machine learning. So, uh, what does it mean uh, in the in the functionality of the of your tool? So, uh, what are the advantages of using these uh, technologies and? And how does it look for, like, if you can describe, okay, we are using this type of mm -hmm. logic of algorithm to, let's say, to reduce the time into detecting something or, or something like that. Yeah. Right? So. Yeah, no, that's a really important question. So currently we're just selling the reporting and the resolution to the to organizations whilst the um, NLP and the prevention is done internally. Uh, the reason being is that we're still trying to understand what is the best way to actually plug in the algorithm into organizations. So we've been thinking, you know, is the best way to do it would be by Slack or by Microsoft Teams or actually allow the company to have the algorithm themselves. Um, so right now I web scraped kind of the worst data that you can possibly imagine from you know sources like reddit or forums that discuss you know harassment and and really dis discriminatory situations and then we put it in um, um in our model we initially use bert um that is kind of the nlp um like one of the best nlp models out there at the moment um but obviously kind of with we're very much on the basis that simplicity is always the best when it comes to to models and we want it to be as transparent as possible to our users so that is also subject to evolve as we figure out okay where are we actually going to be applying this algorithm okay but the purpose of using this technology goes towards let's say if one person reports an issue then you kind of with the meshes try to detect uh i don't know the causes of the issue and potential resolutions of that issue or something like that is, is more yeah, or less me, the logic in the big picture. Yeah. yeah, I can run you through exactly kind of how, how we imagine it working. So what we want to do is for once someone receives a message or a text or an email that could be seen as um, harassment, the receiver would receive a pop-up and ask them if they're comfortable with this text. If they do feel comfortable with this text, you can say yes i feel comfortable and then it learns to be less sensitive between each user but if you say no it then learns and asks you to classify it into what type of harassment this is and then asks you if you want to report it or just save it for later and so the goal is is really to create something with a big a strong feedback um, that allows the 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 machine to keep on learning um, from the feedback of its users okay got it And now going deeper into more or less the process of you building this product, you mentioned that you have eight months of research. Um, then I assume, of course, you have some outcomes out of that research and learn something, right? And then decided to, to do some kind of minimal viable product or some kind mm -hmm. of product to test it with the market. So uh, can you tell us more or less what, what has been that process 
till now and maybe what are your plans for the future into product design and development how does it look that process mm -hmm. uh, maybe even people involved into that process so so the audience can understand what is the level of work that you are doing in into the product yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, um, I think that research and data collection is one of the foundations of every company and especially ours. So when obviously when we're talking about harassment, especially sexual harassment and workplace misconduct, it's something that is quite opaque and that isn't actually that much data about it out there so we were really starting from ground zero when we started our research you know you'll find a couple of academic papers um deloitte also released an amazing paper on you know the impact of sexual harassment um or the economic impact sorry of um sexual harassment in the workplace but what we started off was we did um qualitative uh, data collection so that was um, focus groups meetings with HR and enterprises um, and surveys that got about 2,000 response from and that was to really understand okay is this happening at such a degree that this is a problem that is worth solving and that's when we came up with the data that a sexual harassment was affecting 30% of men and 60% of women, and yet 99.8% weren't reporting it. So there was a clear problem there in regards to, okay, this is the problem, but not no one knows about it. So once we did that qualitative data, we started doing some kind of deep dive into what our product and what we should make it look like. Um, this is probably a big learning curve from us because um, all of our team is 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 tech um, so myself data science Helena cybersecurity and Nora is our software engineer but nonetheless none, none of us had ever actually designed and built a product before from scratch um, and when you you design and build you obviously have to do different levels of testing for users especially when it comes to UX and the UI and so that was a really important learning curve for us was what we did is we actually designed built and then tested, which obviously anyone who builds a product knows that you design, you test, you build, and then you test. Um, so I think that that's something that's really been important to us is, okay, now we really try to test at every design stage possible. Um, and this is especially important as we're speaking to clients and possible clients um, about what kind of products they want to see and how they can use it. We'll always make sure to then test it before actually building it. Okay, and would you recommend or how was those questions to the customers? Because I'm curious because maybe if you ask someone, okay, would you use this feature? Maybe, of course, typically they say, yes, uh, I would use that feature, right? Because they mm -hmm. they are there with you and they want to make you feel good and they don't want to disappoint you. So they will say, yes, I will use it. But maybe at the end of the day, when you actually build it, maybe they don't see that this is useful or they don't really use it. So how do you navigate this, uh, let's say, level of trying to make sure that they are not really lying to you <laughs> regarding, okay, what to do? Uh, if you have any comments into that, what, what is your feeling on, on this level of question, the assumptions and that they are that people is not lying, even, in, even if it's just while lies let's say because it's like okay they are just trying to <laughs> to just say okay not feel you bad right? 
Yeah, I mean, firstly, it's I think it's so, so important to ask that the way that we ask the questions is really to uncover a problem, right? So we're not asking a question necessarily linked directly to a feature, but we're trying to uncover the problem that would make us build that feature. Um, so when it comes to, let's take the reporting app, the questions that um, we usually ask is like, why, you know, is your current whistleblowing system not being used? And can you deep dive a bit more into that? Um, how are you currently protecting your employees against harassment? Um, what are your main challenges to protecting your employees? Are you losing employees? It's really this idea of trying to be as open-ended as possible. And once we have kind of some answers to those very broad open-ended questions, that's when we might then go more into a product-specific thing. Um, but when we get to the stage of actually showing them the product, we should basically be 100% sure that there is that problem and that, that that is that need there. There's never, like for us anyway, there's never going to be a stage where we would ask someone, do you need this feature? And they would have to kind of lie about it because I think that you failed as maybe a, a developer or as a product manager if you've let it go that, so, that far. Um, so I definitely think that phrasing the questions and and making sure that it's really un not only just uncovering a need and a problem but an urgency that would make them buy this product and um, that's kind of when you win um, and that's when you can actually say okay this is a product that someone needs okay how do you if you have any comments on that is like how do you detect there is an urgency to do something because Okay, I get it that a regulation coming from the European Union when there will be some penalties or some mm -hmm. rewards, I don't know, or compensations. If you do these actions, then, okay, that's more or less clear. But, okay, is there any other variable that you measure to detect an urgency? Or Because you mentioned, yeah, let's say there are surveys of economics, uh, Uh, consequences if you continue working in an environment full of harassment, right? So um, is this good enough, viable for companies to take actions or how do you see it in the current environment? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not enough. I think this is more of a question in regards to like our sales pipeline and our prospecting and how we do that. And there's some pretty clear indicators for one, um, you know, every company has to be compliant with the EU whistleblowing directive. That's so that means every company has to have a reporting system. So that's not necessarily an urgency because ultimately there are different ways that they can become compliant. The urgency for us and this is what we see is really comes from organizations that want to make a cultural change or a positive cultural change when it comes to diversity, equity and inclusion within their organizations. And we can see this from a number of different factors. Um, we sometimes see this from having, you know, women in C-level and founder positions that really understand the problem. We also see this as well from the fraud and compliance department that understand that if you don't have a good reporting system in place, then things like fraud and bribery can go completely under the radar. So we, we have very specific kind of signals that we look out for, but if, a company is just looking to become compliant with the EU whistleblowing directive or is simply looking to avoid a financial cost, they don't tend to necessarily um, see the urgency in using a product like ours. 
Okay. And you mentioned that basically the most, the companies more interesting into that are companies where women are in C-level, um, C-level uh, roles, right? Or, or, or manager roles. So uh, how do you see this evolution right now that more women are into these positions of, let's say, power towards taking decisions like using this software and so on, right? So uh, have you seen a lot of, uh, let's say, growing into women being more in these positions or do you see still a lot of, of work to do towards involving more women into into management positions? Yeah, so firstly, it's definitely just a signal. It's not necessarily a positive cause. So just because you have a woman in a C-level or a high position definitely doesn't mean that they necessarily feel an urgency to solve this problem. Um, so that's, you know, a first comment on that. And then secondly, I, there's obviously a lot more work to be done. And we can see that companies that are more diverse do just produce better results. So it's really not only in my company's interest and the interest of us selling to more organizations, but really in every single organization's internal policies, it should really be an important factor to how they see the future of their organization and its success. Mm -hmm. Uh, you mentioned uh, diversity. So are you working as well towards hiring and, and, and more or less securing that the process of hiring is more diverse? Or, uh, how, or do you have any involvement into this process of hiring with your current product or, or is a plan for the future? Yeah, so we don't do anything in terms of hiring. I think that's kind of where further along the company pipeline in regards to where our product actually sits so it sits on employees that are already part of the organization um, but ultimately we do give advice and best practices on what to do um, I for example mentor a couple of startups and have helped them through that especially when it comes to gendered language and how to attract uh, different talent um, I think that it's really important but it's definitely it's not on our product roadmap and it's not necessarily part of our mission to help companies hire um, and it's an important question of you know companies shouldn't be hiring just for diversity's sake it should be part of a whole different toolbox that they're really pushing this initiative of um, diversity inclusion and equality as a whole yeah of course yeah so it's just curious about yeah the entire scope of your product and of course mm -hmm. potentially where it can grow and, and and be involved right because of course there are too many processes where yeah uh, harassment and diversity inclusion are topics right yeah um good uh uh, how do you currently sustain operations of your business? If we can talk about that, this has been completely bootstrapped or do you are working towards investment fund or how does it work for you guys or girls? <laughs> yeah, we've, we've had a mix, um, but we closed an angel round last March um, and we're really, really you know, grateful and happy with the angels who came on board and they definitely reflect kind of our mission as well within the organization. Um, so yeah, we've raised, we've raised funds to ask that question. Good. And how was that process for you uh, regarding uh, finding the angel investors? It was because they were already knew your, your product and your mission and so on, and they believe in your vision or what was the, 
let's say the value proposition that you were pitching to to the investors in this early stage of your company yeah we we definitely have learned a lot from raising funding rounds i think that's probably one of the most important things that you do as a founder is understanding how to create relationship with investors and how to promote your your company and the products and and your values and missions i am um, in in our case we've been very fortunate that we were plugged into some really incredible networks so that paired with our own cold outreach so we would contact people over linkedin and you know i think that linkedin is quite a strong and powerful platform to do that because you can quite rapidly get a sense of someone and their work um from their posts and their activities online and we're very active on it um so that was really what helped us raise those funds but you know i think it's also important to note that less than 2% of all vc money do go to women and there's huge amount of work to be done on actually getting more female founded startups funded yeah so of course once you grow your company then you as well can be part yeah. of the vc community right so that would be mm-hmm. the ideal scenario as well um of course there are, i i know there are initiative of women founders and investors which are supporting other women for example but yeah of course there is still a huge difference between the support for let's say for men compared to to women right like it's it's really huge gap and um and well personally for example i work with companies mainly were led by women and i i believe it's it's much better the the communication and the, and the way the company is operating so uh, how is your feeling into that perspective like in your experience of working so uh, how do you see the the culture when a woman is is leading the company compared to a, a, a man so is if you have any yeah any comments into that yeah definitely also from like our own data collection as mentioned it's is extremely important to have different types of people running an organization i definitely don't think that it's correct to necessarily compare okay like women do a job like this and men do a job like that it's not about being better or worse i think it's just mm-hmm. about bringing different skills and experiences and to the table and you know i think we we know for example that when it comes to the perception of sexual harassment it's vastly different depending on the gender of the person the age of the person the understanding of okay how does one actually define sexual harassment and its effects and so i think that when you have so many nuances of understanding from different types of people that's really powerful to have within an organization on more of a broader level so it doesn't have to be about discrimination necessarily or harassment but just more broadly everyone one's experience really adds value. Um so that's why I'm always for promoting, you know, this kind of more women and you know groups that have previously not been encouraged to really step up and take on leadership positions um in the workplace. So it's quite more about a mixture of different uh, of course genders, uh, uh, nationalities mm-hmm. and of course different backgrounds of careers or degrees and so on yeah. that maybe made a perfect mixture with that more or less there is I don't think there is perfect mixture right but it's more like helping to to figure it out uh, or see oh. the problems from different perspectives right? 
Exactly, or at least be aware. I think that especially when it comes to AI and when you're coding certain things, it's hugely important to be aware of the impact that the way that you you might clean the data or even collect the data um, will actually have an effect on the algorithm itself. And so, you know, we see so many examples of AI that previously hadn't taken into account different perspectives. For example, there was a very um, famous example of, where, of Google Translate, which when you would translate from a language that didn't have necessary pronouns, uh, like gendered pronouns, she, her, and then turn it into a language that did. So for example, Malaysian, I think was one example versus French. If you said, oh, they were a doctor, they would automatically translate it to the masculine. So that's an example of an algorithm which probably hasn't taken into account different perspectives and hasn't actually thought through properly um, what this diversity and inclusion actually means. Mm. Well, that was the MVP of Google Translate. So yeah. maybe in the future, <laughs> it will be added more features on asking you, all right, do you want a woman or or a man or some other <laughs> uh, differentiators? <laughs> Good. Um, now, if we can pass more towards um, yeah, uh, sales and how are you currently working on sales? Because... Uh, of course, some of the audience here is is as well running their own businesses and working in software as a service as well, like type of products. So, how how is your current process to to find, let's say, prospects and and of course convert them to be your active users? So, mm -hmm. if you have any process that you follow or that maybe what has worked for you and what hasn't worked maybe so that would be really good to know yeah it's uh with a tech team who's learning how to do sales so it's been <laughs> a challenge for sure um we're very fortunate that once when we were closing the angel round we also onboarded a um, a sales advisor who's absolutely fantastic her name's caroline and she specializes in you know, B2B sales and like how to really, you know, the different techniques and how to approach, you know, everything from prospecting to actually closing the deal and, and negotiating. And so for us, that's been really fundamental. And I think that for anyone who has their own company and, you know, might not necessarily have the skills to do it themselves, the best way to do it is to get an advisor and then learn and kind of learn from your own mistakes and keep on going. Um, so yeah, sales has been a really interesting one for us and um, I'm taking on more of a sales role. I'm actually stepping down as CTO and Nora is taking over whilst I'm going to be heading up our sales in the future. Okay, good. So what makes you to take the decision to go into sales? Do you feel like it's a killer combination to have IT background and also being this person doing sales or how, how do you feel into that? So is it, it fits more your personality to go towards uh, meeting uh, potential customers? <laughs> yeah, I definitely think that we see it as a, a massive advantage to be, you know, a tech team who's also doing sales. I think that it means that we truly understand what we're selling and we're truly trying to uncover that kind of need and that problem and that urgency because then we want the feedback to go back into our product. So that's something that we're very proud of. And I think that ultimately the like founder sales is very important 
and I think that the decision was made that I would I would do it um so you know I'm really looking forward to the next couple of months and see how how the role evolves and 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 how you know we can acquire more customers as we go along okay um what are the let's say uh, main challenges when you are approaching a company on and talking about harassment sexual harassment and other misconduct so um do you see that HR people is open to talk about these topics or they or they are more closed into these or how do you see that happening at the moment? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, we do tend to find people quite open to speaking to us. We do always go in on the basis of, you know, we're mostly interesting to get to know the problem and not necessarily be so upfront in terms of, oh, we're selling to you. We're really just trying to, you know, understand also from our product perspective, is this still a, is, is this a good fit? Um, I think really the, the biggest challenge is rather finding your champion within the organization and understanding the internal um, structure of the organization and where your product would fall under. So there's some companies which it would fall under in the HR, other companies have obviously people departments, other organizations, you know, we've seen that we're under compliance and fraud, sometimes even the CFO or founders. So it really changes. And so what what we want to do is once we've realized, okay, this company is a good fit for us, and we can see that they have a need and we can see that they have a sense of urgency, it's then about finding our champion and making sure that internally we speaking to the right people who would actually be using um, our products and would want to buy it. And how did you secure in at least in the current customer so um, to make sure that there is some level of retention using your product so that they of course maybe they start using it play with it a few few one month but then later it stops so do you work with them somehow into creating a habit towards this or or the habit building is incorporated into your software so they kind of a reminder hey or how does it work for you into user retention at least in that mm -hmm. perspective yeah this is something that's been really important to us is obviously you want people to know that your product is there and to use it and to ensure that people feel safe when reporting So the first stage is we obviously encourage every employee to download the Metaspace app as soon as the company um, you know, starts using our products. We then also do workshops so that there's a kind of reminder there about all subjects, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And finally, obviously, we kind of send off like regular emails about what we're doing and how we might be able to help but we try to make it as data driven and as tech based as possible because ultimately you know we're the tech team that's doing compliance and diversity and equity and inclusion rather than you know a hr team or a legal team okay so but of course always maybe in the future it will be some having some webinars or something that maybe as well will help Then to yeah. remember, hey guys, you should, you need to take care of this. Let's say, but yeah, okay, like but the that's more or less cool. Yeah, good. Um, now, okay, 
you started working into this company uh, because of personal experience of of the found of you as a founder and your co-founders uh, so this was let's say the path you wanted to do in your career to be an entrepreneur or it was only by coincidence based on these problems you have in into other companies so how was that story for you yeah i had never i previously worked in an impact vc in madrid um as their impact advisor and so i was quite i was already aware of social entrepreneurship but i never considered that i would one day become a social entrepreneur necessarily um when i did my masters in data science i was mostly interested in getting into the intelligence sector and understanding how data can influence elections because i'd previously done politics um so this was really kind of this this path definitely fell on Helena and I because we realized that it was such a big problem that we wanted to solve and today I really can't imagine doing anything else and I can't imagine working for anyone else either okay uh, how did you meet each other as co-founder it was as well in your previous experience as a in data science or how was it for you Yeah, so I've known Helen for seven years now and we went to university together. So we did our bachelors together. Um, so it's, uh, you know, we she was my very, very fast friend and we did every project together. We lived together and we actually started COVID. Um, we actually started the company during COVID in our tiny little apartment in Madrid. So for us, it's really been like a journey of working together. Okay, so... Um... You have some long hours during the lockdown to, to develop this. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Good, good. So it is good to hear that there was something positive out of, <laughs> out of the yeah. uh, pandemic situation. Of course, it's still not, not the best, but hopefully it uh, will bring more positive in the future for, to prevent yeah. more of these situations. <laughs> um, now... Okay, you said you were part of a BC investment firm about uh, impact, right? So, um, yeah, so how was, what is your recommendation to aspiring entrepreneurs to do as a first step if they are building some, for example, software as a service? So, uh, yeah, whether do you recommend to first do research or do you recommend go and jump into the code from day one or or do design or yeah, so whether what would be the first step that you would say to them as a let's say, imagine you're a mentor of one mm -hmm. uh, young woman entrepreneur and <laughs> what they should do right now. Yeah. yeah. I mean as as you mentioned, I think that firstly mentorship is hugely important for entrepreneurs and I think everyone should have mentors no matter where they are in their career. Um I think it gives you a new perspective and understands how to tackle challenges that you might not necessarily have done before. But to answer your question more specifically, I think that when it comes to mistakes, it's really important to make them. Um, because I think that those mistakes that you make early on as a founder are really the ones that you learn from very, very quickly. Um, there are a couple of mistakes, kind of like what I mentioned, you know, in terms of, um, you know, build 
design build and then test that I wouldn't recommend people do you know make sure that you test in between uh, but that everything else I think that the most important is really trying to ship quickly and to try and be very proactive and very fast and very resilient throughout everything um, so you know I, I also mentor a couple of early stage startups and I try to make sure that they feel comfortable learning from their mistakes um, as long as they're small mistakes and you can learn from them quickly they're always going to be a positive good and uh, right now you are not only your co-founder working right so how did you build your team and what values of the skills you were looking to integrate to towards metaspace Yeah, so we've we've recently actually changed the structure of the organization. As I mentioned, I'm um, it's my co-founder and I. I'm moving away from the CTO role that Nora is taking over. So Nora was one of our first hires, and she's now become a partner within the organization. And she's probably been, you know, our most important hire to date. And since that, we have this core team. Uh, we used to hire people on, you know, normal contracts, normal employee contracts, but we realized that to be as lean and to be as proactive as possible to our needs and demands we actually use a lot of freelancers today so what we tend to do is we keep the three of us as the core team and then everyone else is hired on a freelance basis got it and how do you let's say evaluate the freelancer so what what yeah maybe you can mention if you use any platform or anything or how does it work for you to hire mm -hmm. and also of course what What are the most important attributes or values that you are looking out of, of, of the people being part of your team? Yeah. yeah, I think that because we're very much, um, you know, concentrated on the tech, um, it's hugely important that we have someone who's extremely technically capable. Um, fortunately, in terms of assessing a technical person, we're very lucky that we can all do it ourselves and we can do it internally. So that's not really a barrier for us, but really for when we're looking to hire a candidate no matter you know if they're a freelancer or coming on with us full time it's so important that they understand our vision and it's so important that they understand the why of why we're doing this because it does have an impact on your work and it does have an impact on your understanding of why you're building this product um so you know we obviously always value you know kindness over everything else and we we are always looking for individuals who you know, want to make uh, workplaces better, specifically when it comes to gender equality, diversity and, and financial transparency. And, you know, in regards to kind of where do you find these people, the majority of people, because um, when I was at uni, I have a lot of contacts there, you know, be it from data scientists to UX UI designers. I think when you do come from a tech school, it's a lot easier to hire tech talent because you're already integrated to quite a good network. And if we're unable to find that, then we probably will look onto different platforms and Upwork has been quite useful for us. But I would say, you know, a vast majority of our hires have been people that we already knew. Got it. So it's always important to build the network uh, yeah. in, in advance somehow as well, right? Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, now you mentioned you, you were uh, starting the company from your apartment in Madrid. So um, what, what, what is happening? Well, if you know anything about the ecosystem in Spain and specifically in Madrid, so uh, 
do you have any institutions uh, or places that you recommend people to follow, for example, in the ecosystem of Spain, or if you have any comments into this? Yeah, so although we are registered in Spain, we're uh, in Madrid, we're a completely remote team and we didn't spend a huge amount of time in Madrid um, after it was registered. I think one of the reasons was, you know, post-pandemic, you kind of want to get out. Um, so we're not that well informed in regards to the ecosystem. Nonetheless, um, I went to the school called IE University and we participated in their incubator program and they really helped us create our business plan. And I know that the Venture Lab has actually produced quite a few uh, really interesting entrepreneurs. Good. Um, yeah. So do you follow any podcasts, books or other type of media that helps you to grow as and in your new role as a salesperson or as a CTO? Uh, what, what are the stuff that you follow that maybe as well you can mention if you have any other topics that you, uh, let's say, check in podcasts apart from from technology or, or some other topics yeah. that maybe are, are of your interest. Yeah. yeah, I'm, I definitely, in terms of personally, um, I'm a very avid reader. So I read, you know, about a book or two a week. I think that's the way that I relax. Um, I don't tend to watch any television or, or movies that because I need to be away from my screen for a little while. Um, so when it comes to reading, I found it extremely helpful, although I do tend to read more fiction than nonfiction, which so it's not really necessarily about learning, but it's just about resting my brain. Uh, but in terms of podcasts, I'm definitely most interested in things when it's about, you know, uh, people first and when we're looking at diversity. Um, so recently, I actually spoke to a VC based in Paris called Team Pack and they have a really fantastic podcast as well uh, that I would recommend everyone to listen to if you're if you are even a French speaker or an English speaker they do some really good um, they look at very interesting products that are people first and are about creating a better world um, for for their children that's kind of the VC's investment thesis which I think is really beautiful good um Yeah, so uh, do you have any, what is the, do you follow any communities about diversity or inclusion uh, globally that you can recommend to people if they are interested into this topic? I know that as well, you you were, I think, part of Tech to Impact, right? Or and yeah. maybe, maybe for, of course, people involved into impact uh, companies, they can check out Tech to Impact, but also on diversity or these topics do you follow or are you part of any community on this topic um so probably my my favorite way to get information and my favorite way to get the latest news is there's this fantastic newsletter uh, by Ericsson um called the DI weekly roundup and I would highly recommend getting that because it really gives you three points a week um on kind of where companies stand globally on diversity equity and inclusion what are the most recent laws that have come into place I think that's really what um I love is these fast snippets of it um I'm not part of any specific uh, diversity um kind of groups at the moment I think I'm probably more part of like tech groups than I am on, on the diversity and HR side. Mm -hmm. Got it. Um, 
Yeah, so now I know that in one of the questions or answers, you mentioned that uh, based on some research, there was like uh, 60% of the harassment was, of course, related to uh, for women and 30% to, to men. Mm-hmm. So um, how does it... Yeah, how does it look? Uh, yeah, for yeah, how to explain you is like, yeah, how to change that from your perspective apart from reporting. So, um, and also of course I am surprised by the thirty percent because okay, what what who is harassment? Uh, I see more harassment happening, of course, or is the typical news towards women, but then. For guys, it looks okay. What what are the typical situations where this is happening for for men, and and what are the typical cases for women? Let's say if we can mm-hmm. talk a bit about that, if if that's okay for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, from our from our statistics, it's pretty clear that um, or even within the thirty percent of men, it does still tend to be men that do perpetrate the the harassment. Although that's not an exclusive, it can happen that it's a woman, uh, but it just comes in many different forms. I think that ultimately, when it comes to actually eradicating this problem and working towards this problem, we consider ourselves part of a toolbox of many things that need to be worked on within an organization. So you know our our pillars of prevention, reporting and resolution are hugely important because reporting alone doesn't work. You have to have it backed up with a preventative method as well as a resolution method. Um, But then I also, and we've briefly discussed about, you know, hiring practices and the importance of that, but also within, you know, managerial teams and making sure that they are diverse themselves. So I think what's important for organizations to think about it is to think as holistically as they can and understand, okay, what are the tools that we need and what are the best ways to implement them within our company? Because every company is different and every company has different needs. If one person out of the audience wants to start or start uh, changing their culture of the company where they are as an employee, so... Uh, what is your recommendation to them uh, where that maybe where they should go to to try to make a change if mm-hmm. they are part of a company but of course maybe they are not in HR right but okay what would be your recommendation how to start if they still want to be part of that company of course uh, how how they should act or what would be your advice into that if you have any comments into this mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, apart from obviously coming to us, um, there are like many things that employers can do. I think that the most important thing is to understand the situation within the organization currently. As we've been speaking about, it tends to be a very opaque and it's not a very transparent issue that's brought to light. So when it comes to data collection, it's really important to understand, okay, you know, what's our gender equality status? What's our diversity status? How inclusive is this organization? And you can look at that from many different um, kind of viewpoints. And once you actually have that data and you have that understanding, that's when you go and you search for tools like Metaspace and you say, okay, clearly like, we know that harassment is occurring within our organization because five people left this year but why didn't they report it before leaving? And so that's kind of the questions that organizations should be asking. Okay. Um, Now moving out of the topic of harassment and more talking about your daily motivation to Mm -hmm. 
of course you are you are solving a big problem that is happening uh, everywhere and of course that should be maybe uh, motivation enough but uh, if of course i assume you are facing as well a lot of challenges in your your role as cto or sales and so on so uh, how do you keep motivated so do you have any any quotes or anything that you you keep in your mind or or some activities that you do to allow you to to keep pushing towards your vision or how how does it look for you <laughs> Um, I mean, firstly, I'm very lucky to be working with my best friend, who's my co-founder, and I think that that definitely does help. And we do, you know, joke that you just have to keep swimming, you just have to keep pushing, and it's so important to just keep going, basically, because ultimately with a startup, you're always going to have highs and lows, but it's important that you just don't ride the highs too high and you don't ride the lows too lows. You try to keep a constant, stable middle because if not, you're going to be up and down all over the place and it's going to have a big effect on your mental health, which both Helen and I have definitely been aware of. So, yeah, in that way, I definitely think that, you know, the quote of just keep swimming is, you know, although very simple, um, it does kind of have this idea that you have to keep going, you have to be, keep uh, pushing no matter what, uh, because if you're passionate and if you've been able to collect data and if you know there's a problem that you want to solve, it will work out. It's just whether or how profitable it's going to be and if you want to actually continue the business based on those factors. Okay, good. Uh, do you do some activities uh, apart from reading, as you mentioned, every week uh, one book or to, yeah, to, to relax and to keep your mental health apart from like to help you keep running and keep swimming or how, yeah. how is, does it look for you? <laughs> um, it's still a work in progress for sure. I definitely don't think that I'm perfect at that. Um, I think, you know, being active physically is really important for, for your mental health as well. So everyone likes to do different types of activities. Mine's really like the gym and doing yoga. Um, but those are probably the main things for me is, is really reading and being physically active. Um, you're you know when you start a company you have to accept that if you're going to be working such long hours you probably won't have as much of a social life as you used to and that's just one of the things that it's kind of has to be accepted uh, I think because if you don't kind of slow down your social life then you're probably not going to be getting enough sleep and sleep is really really fundamental to the success of your business okay um if We can talk more about, okay, you said that before recording that you are located in Ibiza. So what now going away of work, so uh, what kind of activities uh, for fun or hobbies do you do in, in Ibiza that <laughs> maybe you can mention? And, and of course, just to uh, close the podcast into more um, hobbies, activities yeah. and, and stuff like that. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, Ibiza is obviously renowned for its parties. Um, I do like to go out dancing and I do like to go out, but it's probably not the main reason why I love Ibiza. I think the main reason I love Ibiza is for its beaches and its calas and to be able to go swimming and diving and paddleboarding. I think that's really the best part of living on an island. And you also meet some really incredible people from It's such an international environment who are doing very different things from, you know, startups, which is very special. So, um, yeah, in terms of hobbies, I would definitely say 
the beach <laughs> and all the activities linked to the beach are really important ones. Okay, so you literally mentioned before mental health about kids swimming, so you literally apply it. Yeah, of so. course. <laughs> Good. And if you you mentioned you were um, reading more about uh, fiction books, so the, what is one book that you really like to in fiction and that you would recommend someone else to read and maybe why if you have any reason behind or <laughs> yeah i'm a big fan of sci-fi um so i you know i really really love um i recently finished clara and the sun which is by a japanese british author and it's about kind of ai intelligent life which is brilliant that so i would highly recommend to everyone um Obviously, the the classics I'm currently reading at the moment, oh, and I forget the name by um, H.G. Wells. It's like the biggest sci-fi book ever. Which, is, but anyway, I I can write it to you afterwards. But yeah, I definitely think that for me, sci-fi is amazing because it links together this idea of either a dystopian or a utopian future with technology, which is obviously what I love as well. Mm. So, okay, so that way we know where you are getting your research about the future yeah. of your product and so on. Exactly. Good. So you have a perfect combination. So living in Ibiza, so you can talk with people really diverse and then also reading sci-fi so you can <laughs> make exactly. this combination, let's say. <laughs> Good. So uh, how can people reach you out if they want to continue this conversation with you or know more about uh, your products or the topic of harassment uh, or diversity and so on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So that's probably the quickest way to contact me. If not, obviously, uh, by email that you should find is Eleanor at meta-space.com. And then... Um, obviously our web our website um to understand a bit more about our products okay so thank you very much eleanor for your time today it was a pleasure to talk and all the success in uh, bringing a better workplace experience and hopefully all these situations of harassment can can be reduced as much as possible in in as much as uh, ideally globally of course and that is is a better environment for work right? <laughs> yeah perfect thank you so much ricardo for having me on yeah so have a good rest of the day thank See you, you. Thank you very much for joining us we hope you have enjoyed this episode and gained valuable insights feel free to share with your friends and looking forward to seeing you next time